You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and today we're talking about using the passion and instinct for personal and relationship growth. I'm super thankful that this episode is coming right now as we're in season two talking about how we can grow in our Enneagram glows and all of these ways that our pairings can really be improved upon. You really can't do any of your Enneagram growth work with your spouse until you have a sense for what passions you're dealing with in your life. And then as you move deeper in your work through that, you're exposed to something else which is really cool in the Enneagram world, and that is learning how to work with your dominant and repressed instincts. So I'm super thankful. Like I said, we're talking about this today and we're going a little bit deeper. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to the episodes on your type or subtype, you might want to hit those first, but otherwise just roll right along with me. I hope you had a great Easter. I know that Good Friday was a sobering day and I know that we think about the passion of Jesus actually on Good Friday and that's just another word for endurance and suffering. And in this case, when we talk about passions with the Enneagram, these are the things that make us suffer. So it's been on our minds this week already as a culture in many ways for those who share my faith walk. And then we had the hope of Easter come where we really get to see where we can't always do things ourselves, where we don't always come to the place where we just are finally released because we just got strong enough. But we actually find that the grace of God lends itself to us when we open our arms and say, I'm helpless, I'm repentant, help me to do this. And that's something that we get to in our Enneagram work as well when we get to the levels of awareness that are higher and we find ourselves at that place of not just guilt from the passions, but this place of repentance of God help me to do better. So this is what we're talking about today. And it's been going along so great with where I'm at in my literature studies. I've been reading A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, which reminds me of the Enneagram as a tree analogy. And it also reminds me of how we're made up of so many varying parts. And what I had my literature pot of girls do this last week was I had them create a tree that they thought that they resembled. And I really hope they loved that assignment as much as I did, because I think that that can be even a great one for you and your journals to just process on the whole growth and the development. Several of the girls felt that the trunk was Christ. Several of them said that they had branches that were not quite developed yet. And then the weeping willow, I heard white willow. The tree I've always resembled the most is the maple tree. And I really, yes, I love our French Canadian family roots. And I love a lot of Canadian things. Right now, my family is totally binging on Smallville. We are in season six and we're having a total blast. Wes and I went through it and now it's time to go through with our kids. So that's not really why the why I love the maple tree is it is sweet. But what's really funny about that type of tree is it is sappy. And when the sap runs out, however, there are deeper, richer colors that are revealed. So if somebody does stick around, they will find out that there's more than just the sweetness, but it is going to be there at the surface. Probably as we talk about instincts, we'll talk about why people do what we do to protect ourselves. But I loved hearing from the girls because they had a lot of strength as they talked about being an oak and solid and also being a willow who isn't always strong and who can bend and lean and support people. And 
it's a beautiful place to begin your your instinctual growth is to think about yourself as a tree because you start to realize what are my roots like and what has my family gifted me with and what have I developed on my own what is still being grafted in so I encourage you guys take on that assignment I'm having the girls actually dig a level deeper now and they are going to talk about what traits they got from each family member and that's something you can add on to if you want because it's a really cool exercise to say I'm not only what I got from my family but I'm everything else in between that God has gifted me with as well. And I'm going to read a quick passage from the book considered by some to be the great American novel. And that is, like I said, a tree grows in Brooklyn. So listen what she says about herself, that she's part of that tree too. She says she was made up of more too. She was the book she read in the library. She was the flower in the brown bowl. Part of her life was made from the tree growing rankly in the yard. She was the bitter quarrels she had with her brother, whom she loved dearly. She was Katie's secret, despairing, weeping. She was the shame of her father, staggering home drunk. She was all of these things and of something more that did not come from the Romilies, nor the Nolans, the reading, the observing, the living from day to day. It was something that had been born into her and her only, the something different from anyone else in the two families. It was what God or whatever is his equivalent puts into each soul that is given life, the one differing thing such as that which makes no two fingerprints on the face of the earth alike. So there's your assignment if you want to take it a level deeper, but otherwise put on your thinking cap with me because we are going to delve now right into our instinctual variants and how we can use the passions and the instincts to improve our relationships. So the first thing you want to do when you're doing your Enneagram work is to get to know your type, to observe it, to watch it, to perhaps have some fun with it, to say, okay, I really love my type. This is who I am. Let's meme for a little while and let's, you know, cheer each other on and just have a lot of fun with pairings and, you know, let's see what our basic levels are and and let's try to be healthy. And for those of you who have already been doing a faith walk or a very intentional inner work path, you've probably already started some of the work and you might even say, oh yeah, I see my type and I see how I've already done some of the work. So that's the first step is noticing, kind of teasing at yourself a little, kind of feeling humble and blushing. And then you start to get in a little deeper and you start to say, well, what is really stopping me here? What is my passion? And so I'm going to share the passion of each type just so you guys can have a sense once again briefly for what those passions are as you're trying to do your work. And so if you're a one, your passion is anger, two, it's pride, three, deceit, four, envy, five avarice, six fear, seven gluttony, eight lust, and nine sloth. When you find your passion, that's the place to start your next step of your Enneagram journey from the schools of knowledge that I've learned from. And do understand Enneagram is bigger than any one person or school, but that's really an important next step regardless even if you say, okay, I have another step that I'm putting in between there. What I'm trying to really help you to understand is before you do your instinctual work, you should be doing your work where you say, okay, let me look at my type first. Which one am I? Let me see which work I've already done. Now let me see what is the sin or passion that's really bothering me and my relationships the most. And I read those just now. Next after that, you probably want to look at one of the 27 subtypes. And that's something that you can look at Beatrice Chestnut's book, The Complete Enneagram. You can Google them and find some good sources that you trust. I also have a freebie on the subtypes at enneagramandmarriage.com, but they're just ways for you to look at little more, and mine is much shorter, but more nuanced versions of 
what these 27 subtypes are. And you can go through various podcasts of mine and many other people to talk about them as well. And then you get to know yourself at a level that's a little deeper. That's helpful because that way you're starting to say, I know I'm a five, but why do I look so different from my other friend who's a five? And then you can say to yourself, oh, because I'm the one-to-one or sexual five and my friend is the self-preserving five or the social five. So that's your next step. And that's a good step to say, this is kind of me trying to learn how to balance out so that I'm not just that subtype. So once again, we come to that place of a bit of guilt and humility, and we might talk with our spouses, hopefully about our type. Like Suzanne Stabile said when she was on the podcast, it's always best to do your own work and then allow your spouse or your partner to see you doing that. And that will help you guys quite a bit to to feel like they can now open up safely because you're starting to own your part in things. And that's always a good step. It's a vulnerable step. So with you getting your self-care emotionally, spiritually, and physically each day, it shouldn't be quite as vulnerable because you're learning to make sure that you're healthy and strong well. you're showing the vulnerability. So, but now we're talking about our instinctual patterns and these are the animal instincts that we really do all face. And sometimes it's just so unconscious that we don't even realize we're doing this. And so this is where we isolate the subtype a little bit farther and we say, what's the order of my subtypes? So what's the first one? Is it sexual? Is it social? Or is it self-preserving? Then you say to yourself, what's my second one and what's my third one? So you can go to Catherine Favre's tri-type test and she does a good job of helping you to know if you're just, I don't know, I have no clue, but better yet is you really discovering it for yourself and taking some time with it to think it through, to journal it through. I have a freebie from this week's podcast for you so that you can actually do that work as a journaling exercise. So just be aware of that. But I also want you to understand that this could be ascertained from an interview or a test if you really trust it. And as an FYI, don't get too lost in a tri-type just yet because these pieces of your work take a long time. So I don't want to necessarily be delving into tri-type quote unquote work until you've done these earlier pieces of your work. Or you might miss your passion work and be like, oh, I'm a 316 and just really miss how that three that's foremost for you has to deal with the self-deceit and has to deal with their instinctual work. So just be aware of that, but you can peek at her test if you want to have an idea for things. And if you have been doing any rim work for a while and you can peek at it if you want to know where does she see your sequencing or some people call it stacking or but usually it's called sequencing for your Enneagram instincts. So for me, it's the self-preserving, it's the sexual and then it's the social. And for my husband, Wes, he's social first and he's self-preserving last and sexual second. So what I want to do now is briefly explain how you can use these in your marriage. But first, we're going to talk a little bit more about what they are in general, because I'm not going to go into the 27 subtypes. I'm just going to go into the big three instincts. And I'm going to tell you that the first one, of course, would be called your dominant. This is the one that you use quite a bit. And it's basically 
like an untamed dragon if it's not healthy. It's kind of like, okay, this is the thorn in my side. Whatever analogy you like to use, this is the ring, as I would say for a Lord of the Rings analogy. I can't let go of the ring because the ring holds this power that's really helping me somehow, even though really it's holding a darkness over you. So sometimes we kind of almost brag about our our stuff and this is my dominant instinct, but really it's actually kind of hurting you. And some might even say it's killing you. So you have to be aware that that dominant instinct is in place for good reason. So just like when you did your Enneagram work, take a look at it, enjoy it for a little while, but then you want to say, well, what is the sequence? What is the next one? That's my secondary. And that one might be, like I said, any of the ne- the same three, but in a different order. That secondary one, you're not usually struggling with as much. Depends on your level of trauma with all of these, of course, but in general, people don't struggle quite as much with the second one, and it's not usually like the third one that is repressed oftentimes. And that third one gets repressed because usually in early childhood, there was a trauma, or you might be experiencing a life circumstance that's putting things out of whack, and then later, you'll see yourself go back to your typical sequence. So let's just say you had a divorce, and so now you're in a self-preserving mode because you had to really focus intensely on living situations and bills and making yourself eat because you were in grief and that one your counselor told you you had to do that so whatever you're going through there can be switches and changes and I recently asked on Instagram how many of you thought yours had changed over a lifetime and about a third of you said you thought that yours had changed and then about two-thirds said no it's pretty much been consistent but my Instagram group is averaging 20s and 30s so of course I have the bell curve with people much lower and much higher but I also want to just say, you know, there might be times when you do notice a shift and then a reshift back. So what I really want to help you to understand with that repressed third instinct is that when you are repressing it, and some people call it your blind spot, you're really missing out on the gifts of that. And it's usually historical. It might be historical from your own memories, or it might be historical from memories you're not even aware of. Hence my assignment for the family tree for the girls, because I wanted people to see what is the good and what is the bad. And my nine daughter was insightful with me on a walk the other day. And she said, mom, I was a little bit kind of sad when you assigned that because there's people in the family that I don't want to really acknowledge what I got from them. I'd rather just look at the physical traits perhaps that I got from them because I don't really feel like I've carried anything down from them otherwise. And so I didn't force her hand at all. I didn't say, oh, let's look deeper and see if you did. But I think that's our own work to do is to say, hey, why is this repressed? And did I really not get this from my family or did I get something from them that's that's really toxic or something that's been passed down because there was a warning in our past? And typically that's what it is, that it wasn't something somebody put on to be sinful. It was something that became a stronghold in their lives because they were feeling under attack in some ways and they just put this on as a defense mechanism. For instance, if there was a history of slavery in the family, uh, you might be self-preserving because you might say, oh my gosh, we were still from this is never going to happen again or we're going to hoard maybe there was a starvation period during this enslavement and and sometimes the same trauma happened to people who are repressed or dominant for instance i'll just pick social here that Perhaps if you're social dominant, you remember a time or your family has a legend about a time when your family had 
been taken from socially. Perhaps they were enslaved or another system took over and everyone was up in arms because their values were no longer seen. And we saw this in society recently with the two polarized sides fighting. And sometimes we can be very reductionistic and we can reduce our circumstances down to all of my problems in life will be terrible if I either pay attention to my social life too much. Some people, as you know, ducked out of Twitter altogether, ducked out of looking altogether because they said, I'm ignoring what's happening in society right now for my own survival. And then others said, I'm going to go for it. I need to show up big. And honestly, this social instinct is the most generous because it's for everybody. It's for all. And so that's where you saw these major medical developments take place and the vaccination come out for those who are able to get it and wanting it. And so that's been huge. And there may even be more of a push toward that so that we don't have other variants of COVID show up. So it really makes a difference to say how you look at things and what you do with things. And trust me, I get it. I'm the one that's socially repressed. So I get it that there's hurts and there's reasons why we duck down, but we can't allow that to really focus us into an unhealthy place where we truly leave forever. I would say 2020 and what's happened since has made everybody feel going like going more into self-preserving, which is why I've told you for my couples that I've worked with, I've really said, okay, this year, if you're watching Netflix and having date nights, like I'm super proud of you because that is awesome this year. But I ultimately don't say that to people because I don't want them to just do that. I want them to be intimate, to get to know each other on a one-to-one basis. And yet I knew that people were cowering and hunkering down in fear for what was happening societally across the world this year. So you want to give that safe place and you want to understand that each of these instincts has a place. Speaking of self-preserving, if that instinct is dominant or repressed, it may have been because you had a starvation in the family and a time of famine when you're told this family didn't have anything. It might even be a family secret like it was in my family when we found out we had some Jewish roots. It's also been my Croatian story with my grandmother who would tell me about the Great Depression in the boarding house. And we have so many stories about her family being taken advantage of and surviving. And a lot of it was because she decided not to overemphasize her self-preserving in some ways because it can take on different traits. So for instance, for her, she didn't eat much. She survived on very little and lived to be 95 and her mom was 99 and her aunt was 100. So they found these ways to survive and they all did different things, but her way was to not eat that much. And I think that other people who are self-preserving are carrying food around, uh, not not naming anyone, um, but I think that we just have different manifestations of it. And it works with your passion in the way that if you haven't done the work of your passion, you're not going to be able to balance these that well. Let me give you a couple of examples. If you're a two and you're going, okay, I'm realizing that I'm self-preserving, um, but I want to be less so. If you haven't dealt with your passion of pride, you might find that it's uncomfortable to step out of self-preserving because when you're social, maybe that was your repressed instinct, people were kind of ignoring you because your pride was too big and they weren't feeling like that you could relate with them. So they were saying, I don't know, I'm not really responding to your overtures because 
I feel like you're bragging and prideful. And in reality, you were just trying to connect and you weren't aware of your passion. You're not going to feel like stepping out of self-preserving very much, are you? Because you're going to go, I'm not stepping into my repressed instinct. No way. That one never serves me. So remember when I say first work on your passion work and your basic Enneagram awareness. And then when you're ready, step into some of this. And that middle one can help give you some leverage as well, because you're probably pretty good at the one that's not dominant or repressed. Lastly, we'll talk a bit about the last instinct, which is the sexual instinct. And if you're dominant or repressed in the sexual realm, it's probably because somewhere in the family line, there was a a situation of abuse, sexual or regular physical abuse. Often that sexual instinct is seen and manifest as flamboyance or as sexual dominance or just showing big earrings, big color, big personality, overwhelming people sometimes, even if it's in an unhealthy state with your presence and and having to be the prettiest one in the room or the handsomest or the sexiest. And and there's a sense of others who are sexually repressed really saying, no, I don't even want sex. I, ha- I want nothing to do with it. And there may have been a sexual trauma in either case. But as you can see, there's a managing of this instinct in order to try to feel safe. Ultimately, like I said, the goal is going to be for you to say, ooh, I'm going to do some work here. And I'm going to try to balance out, but it is going to be a tiptoeing. So sometimes people ask me, which step should I take first? Should I take the first step to be where I work on my dominant instinct when I'm working with instincts? Or should I work with my repressed instinct or my blind spot first? And I know this is totally going to be different per Enneagram teacher. And I know there's a lot of teachers who know more than me. The way I've been working with it is, and I like this way, it seems to be a good safe way that matches with the emotionally focused tools I have and the Gottman tools I have is to try to, like I said, do the Enneagram awareness work first and working with the passions, but then to allow people to say, I'm going to try to notice my dominance Uh, try to scale it back a little bit, do something small to balance that out, then maybe do something a little bit bigger. Meanwhile, start stepping out and tiptoeing out that repressed instinct. And I'm going to give a personal example because I really like to be careful about airing other people's laundry on air. Even with people talking about their own glows, I want to be so honoring about the pairings because you guys don't know how hard it is for a couple to be put on the spot on the stage. Marriage is so fluid. I actually have couples on my website that I pray over because I'm like, that's a lot for them to even be on somebody's website as a success story with marriage being so hard. So even the ones who are on my website, I'm like, anytime you don't want to be, that's okay. But it's really hard to get personal, vulnerable, And then for that to not be part of your story later with vulnerability, like, oh, yeah, remember when we run that podcast or when she said this and now it's no longer true. So I really like to be as honoring as possible and never let other people's baggage or issues or dances be overly exploited. So much of me wants to have people on and do their coaching online. That is like a dream, but it just doesn't feel right. So I'll have to see if I can play with that later um, to make it ethical, to make it right. But for now, I'm going to use a brief personal example that when I'm trying to do this work to balance my instincts, I say to myself, okay, Krista, what you're going to do is you are going to be very intentional about 
walking away from your gluttony. You're going to be disgusted by it and you're going to watch out for the tricks it plays on you too because even if you're doing good on food, which is hard enough for you, you're probably going to shift into overlearning information, information gluttony. I go to five, I want to learn, 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 learn. And it's like, no, 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 no. Be with your people, step out, be brave. So at the same time, I'm using my repressed instinct to say, okay, so I'm self-preserving on the one hand, I'm trying to stay away from gluttony. For a minute here, I'll probably take a five minute micro nap in order to satiate, tame the dragon a little bit, step away and assure myself you're still taking care of you, but then at the same time to come out and spend some time with a friend or spend some time with my kids. And I have some you know, scheduled events in to where we have daily scheduled events. And my husband likes me to have breakfast with him every morning. And there's so many different parts of our week. I like a date night. So I get that, that one-to-one in quite a bit. And even with my kids, it's almost like a one-to-one because I'm doing a lot of one-to-one teaching and my clients are two or one. And so I get a lot of that too, but the social, I have to be intentional to schedule in. And it's a, it's sometimes white knuckling it saying, I don't know if I'm going to have it in me. I do an awful lot. So of course, during COVID, I really talked myself out of that except for the small classes I taught online and you know how I'm podcasting so I got to kind of fudge around it but what you really want to do is also tackle it directly you don't want to say oh well I found a way around it entirely I only podcast I only teach virtually you want to understand that when you open your hand and this is a word we give to fives and of course I need this one you you have to realize the energy flows in and out that it isn't it is an act of faith that you open the hands and and release oh my gosh there is the possibility that I'll disappear but it's also the possibility that I'll be filled back up and that is what happens in life is you're filled back up so it's that sense of okay once a week maybe twice a week I plan on this and before you know it that repressed instinct is hopefully taking a center stage and becoming something you do more Especially, I would say, for the self-preservings among us, if you're not neurotypical, make sure you also address that. What are your stimming behaviors? What are the things that you can do and talk to your spouse about this to feel better about going out and doing things and healthy risks and making sure that you're not just holed up in your own head or in your own home and that's really important conversation because there's a whole spectrum for this. Uh, last week, as many of you know, was Autism Awareness Week. A great Instagram to follow for that is The Autistic Life. There's a lot of information and help for you, even if you don't feel that you're autistic, to take some time to research how do I deal with sensory issues in my life or how does my spouse and does this play a role? I find this plays a role in seriously probably half of the couples I work with. And so they don't always need me to say, oh, you need an autism referral. It's we need help for this marriage. We need people to understand that it doesn't just infect your marriage or your family. It affects your job. So sometimes there's big things that come with the changes you make as you balance where you're like, oh, we're moving or we're taking a different job or our hours are going to be different or we're going to drive separately to events or we wear the noise canceling headphones. It's like there are so many things to help you guys on the journey as you adjust and shift. So this week I had people down for spring break and they were staying in their own places, but we met outdoors at several vantage points and it was really fun. I ended up having four meetings plus church this Sunday with friends in society. And I thought that was really different and good for me. And it didn't feel overwhelming because there were people I really wanted to see. 
but a couple of them were just one-to-ones with my best friend from grad school. It had been 19 years since we had met in grad school and she and I had a wonderful time in Naples having an outdoor dinner and she's the one who introduced me to the Enneagram. So I was so happy to meet with her. She goes to Willow in Chicago and we went to Wheaton together and she is a four and we are just peas in a pod. We could talk all day and we did every day. We would go on jogs on the prairie path in Illinois and we just had such a special few years together, but, but God had us move to different areas. And so that was a very easy place that felt like, okay, I can be social out at a restaurant with her. And another place I could do that is at church for Easter. So that's a special time that we're having this week to help me to feel like I'm working on my social. So I love it that I'm teaching the internet class this summer. I'm replacing my literature pod with my Enneagram work. But I definitely am aware that that's not really the work I'm talking about. The work I'm talking about socially is going to be really stepping out in the world doing that work. And I think a lot of you are with me. I'm not sure if there's an increase in agoraphobia this year. I'd like to see the stats on that. I've heard of some minor cases of that where people aren't getting out yet because they're not allowed or because they don't feel safe or they don't have their vaccine. But I also do want people to know that you can get help if you're actually stuck at home because it's just gotten too tough. And that's happened for a few of my clients too. So be aware that if one of these instincts is really troubling you, that you can baby step your way back to it. And so because I discussed the uh, social and the self-preserving so much, I'm going to briefly talk about the sexual instinct to say with that one, a way that you can step out of that is to say, okay, if it's been dominating, I'm going to perhaps dress in a way each of the uh, instincts sort of has a style to the way we dress. And you could say, I'm not going to dress to impress sexually this week, or I'm going to just dress to impress sexually once or twice this week instead of how I usually do every single day with my muscle shirts or cleavage. And I'm just going to let people see other sides of me and I'm going to be quieter and muter. I'm not going to take up as much space. Or if you're somebody who's been ignoring the sexual instinct, you might say, I'm going to be, I'm going to be approaching my spouse. And I get this a lot from couples that I am going to approach my spouse to be more sexual with me this week. And that's going to make a lot of your spouses very happy because typically there's one person who initiates the sexual experience and it's really neat for spouses to see the other person doing it. It really validates them. And so now we can talk for a few minutes as we step right into the couple's work with all of this is talking with your spouse about it. And I hope you can use the freebie I have for you on it too at enneagramandmarriage.com because it's a great way for you to say to each other, let's both try to pay attention and to see what we can do. And if your spouse doesn't want to do it with you, you can just fill it out for yourself. And if your spouse is somewhat interested, you can tiptoe a little bit into the conversation by saying, well, hey, I kind of noticed that you seem to be really good at this one. And that's a way to say it versus I see your dragon. So just say, I really love how you're gifted with this area. And I could say that to Wes, oh my gosh, I've seen you in the pandemic really do a great job of running the medical practice along the along with the other providers. And I think you're doing a phenomenal job with that. One thing you don't want to do is be mean or just tease or pretend it isn't a value because all three are a value. 
So if you're making fun of them, it's probably a sign you need to get more into yours of that one. But it's just the way it is. I mean, so you want to make sure that you talk to your spouse and say, hey, you know, this is something you're good at. But if you ever think you overdo, then how do you think you could scale back? And they may say, I don't want to. I love it. I don't overdo. And then you could say, okay, well, what about these two? These are supposed to be balanced. How do you think you do these? And so that's not even, you don't have to use the word Enneagram to talk about instincts, but you also don't want to, like I've even done it to Wes on a recent date night. And it was actually as a funny after reflection because I was like, we did all this other stuff and he wanted to talk about a mystery dinner game. And I was like, oh, sure. And we had fun. And then I said, we didn't get to talk about Gottman. And he was like, oh no, like he was teasing me, like, that's okay. <laughs> and so, cause he had really enjoyed the date and he didn't want to be like, okay, we have to do marriage tools every day. So just be careful that, you know, he may bring it up at another time and want to do it, but be light about it as much as possible so that you're not just really being annoying. And sometimes we just are annoying and we have to laugh at ourselves a little, but try not to laugh at each other's instincts because they're there for a reason. We have a historicity with it uh, personally, as well as even not knowing our culture fully. So uh, interview family, if you want to know, interview your spouse's family, if they're interested and we'll open that door or just make some hypothesis and start taking some baby steps. But that's what I really hope you'll do. I want to encourage you that in my recent study of instincts, it felt like a lot of people picked opposite instincts and it felt like a lot of males were SP or SX and a lot of women were SO or a little more variety there because there's more women on my page. But understand that we do often pick somebody with a different instinctual sequence. And I think that's pretty cool because then your spouse has something you can learn from. Of course, I'm a little envious when a couple has everything the same. I'm like, oh, you guys are just like having a blast, aren't you? But even if that's you, of course, for your personal growth, it's going to be important for you guys to step out. And I notice sometimes we pick friends that are similar to us because we say, oh, okay, my friends are similar to how I work in the world. And so they're a little, they're a bit of a reprieve when we're saying my spouse is a lot of work. And it's like, yeah, your spouse is a lot of work and so are you and you're probably really good for each other and your friends are there as support staff to help you get through it all. So I hope this has been a helpful episode and I really hope that you guys have such a great week. I'm looking forward to more great episode time with you guys where we keep learning together and doing our work. Thank you so much for the sweetness I see in my uh, DMs about how much you're enjoying the podcast. If you're learning something, that encourages me in my social instinct. And I also hope that you will share this with other couples who are hurting and individuals you know who need to learn more about how to be healthy because that's a real blessing that you pass out socially to others too. And I want you to learn about things from other podcasts out there. So check out Be in Uranio at CP Enneagram 2.0. Check out Fathom's podcast and don't forget to head over to enneagramandmarriage.com if you want to make sure that you learn more about your instinctual sequence or if you want to learn with me this summer about Enneagram and marriage and incorporating that more into your couple's work because we'll go in a lot more depth there. Okay, as I always end my emails, love living intentionally with you. I will talk to you guys soon. Have a great week.